Section 29 of The Red and the Black, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read for you by Chiquito Crasto. The Red and the Black, Volume 2 by Stendhal. Translated by Horace B. Samuel. Chapter 59. Ennui. Sacrificing one's self to one's passion, let it pass. But sacrificing one's self to passions which one has not got. Oh, melancholy, 19th century. Givaudet. Madame de Fervaques had begun reading Julien's long letters without any pleasure. But she now began to think about them. One thing, however, grieved her. What a pity that Monsieur Sorel was not a real priest. He could then be admitted to a kind of intimacy. But in view of that cross and that almost lay dress, one is exposed to cruel questions. And what is one to answer? She did not finish the train of thought. Some malicious woman friend may think, and even spread it about that he is some lower middle-class cousin or other, a relative of my father, some tradesman who has been decorated by the National Guard. Up to the time which she had seen Julien, Madame de Fervaques' greatest pleasure had been writing the word Marechal after a name. Consequently, a morbid parvenu vanity, which was ready to take umbrage at everything, combated the awakening of her interest in him. It would be so easy for me, said the Marechal, to make him a grand vicar in some diocese near Paris. But plain Monsieur Sorel, and what is more, a man who is the secretary of Monsieur de la Mole, it is heartbreaking. For the first time in her life, this soul, which was afraid of everything, was moved by an interest which was alien to its own pretensions to rank and superiority. Her old porter noticed that whenever he brought a letter from this handsome young man, who always looked so sad, he was certain to see that absent, discontented expression which the marechale always made a point of assuming on the entry of any of her servants immediately disappear. The boredom of a mode of life whose ambitions were concentrated on impressing the public, without her having at heart any real faculty of enjoyment for that kind of success, had become so intolerable, since she had begun to think of Julian, that, all that was necessary to prevent her chambermaids being bullied for a whole day, was that their mistress should have passed an hour in the society of this strange young man on the evening of the preceding day. His budding credit was proof against very cleverly written anonymous letters. It was in vain that Tambo supplied M. de Luz, de Croisnois, de Cailloux, with two or three very clever calumnies which these gentlemen were only too glad to spread, without making too many enquiries of the actual truth of the charges. The marechal, whose temperament was not calculated to be proof against these vulgar expedients, related her doubts to Matilda, and was always consoled by her. One day, Madame de Fervaques, after having asked three times if there were any letters for her, suddenly decided to answer Julian. It was a case of the triumph of ennui. On reaching the second letter in his name, the marechal almost felt herself pulled up sharp by the unbecomingness of writing with her own hand so vulgar an address as to Monsieur Sorel, care of Monsieur le Marquis de la Meule. You must bring me envelopes with your address on, she said very dryly to Julian in the evening. 
Here I am appointed lover and valet in one, thought Julien. And he bowed, amused himself by wrinkling his face up like Arsène, the old valet of the Marquis. He brought the envelopes that very evening, and he received the third letter very early on the following day. He read five or six lines at the beginning, and two or three towards the end. There were four pages of a small and very close writing. The lady gradually developed the sweet habit of writing nearly every day. Julian answered by faithful copies of the Russian letters. And such is the advantage of the bombastic style, that Madame de Fervaques was not a bit astonished by the lack of connection between his answers and her letters. How gravely irritated would her pride have been, if the little tambeau who had constituted himself a voluntary spy on all Julian's movements, had been able to have informed her that all these letters were left unsealed and thrown haphazard into Julian's drawer. One morning the porter was bringing into the library a letter to him from the Marechal. Matilda met the man, saw the letter together with the address in Julian's handwriting. She entered the library as the porter was leaving it. The letter was still on the edge of the table. Julian was very busy with his work, and had not yet put it in his drawer. "'I cannot endure this,' exclaimed Matilda, as she took possession of the letter. "'You are completely forgetting me, your wife. Your conduct is awful, monsieur.' At these words her pride, shocked by the awful unseemliness of her proceeding, prevented her from speaking. She burst into tears, and soon seemed to Julian scarcely able to breathe. Julian was so surprised and embarrassed that he did not fully appreciate how ideally fortunate this scene was for himself. He helped Matilda to sit down. She almost abandoned herself in his arms. The first minute in which he noticed this movement, he felt an extreme joy. Immediately afterwards, he thought of Korasov. I may lose everything by a single word. The strain of carrying out his tactics was so great that his arms stiffened. I dare not even allow myself to press this supple, charming frame to my heart, or she will despise me or treat me badly. What an awful character! And while he cursed Matilda's character, he loved her a hundred times more. He thought she had a queen in his arms. Julian's impassive coldness intensified the anguished pride which was lacerating the soul of Mademoiselle de la Mole. She was far from having the necessary self-possession to try and read in his eyes what he felt for her at that particular moment. She could not make up her mind to look at him. She trembled, lest she might encounter a contemptuous expression. Seated motionless on the library divan, with her head turned in the opposite direction to Julian, she was a prey to the most poignant anguish that pride and love can inflict upon a human soul. What an awful step had she just slipped into taking! It has been reserved for me unhappy woman that I am, to see my most unbecoming advances rebuffed. And rebuffed by whom? added her maddened and wounded pride. Rebuffed by a servant of my father's. That's more than I will put up with, she said aloud, and rising in a fury, she opened the drawer of Julian's table, which was two yards in front of her. She stood petrified with horror when she saw eight or ten unopened letters, completely like the one the porter had just brought up. She recognized Julian's handwriting, though more or less disguised on all the addresses. So, she cried, quite beside herself, you are not only on good terms with her, but you actually despise her. You, a nobody, despise Madame la Marechale de Fervaques. 
oh forgive me dear she added throwing herself on her knees despise me if you wish but love me i cannot live without your love and she fell down in a dead faint so our proud lady is lying at my feet said julian to himself end of section twenty nine read for you by chiquito crasto birmingham alabama